Welcome to the Women in Youth Ministry Podcast. My name is Heather Kennison, and I am your host as well as the founder of Women in Youth Ministry. Our goal as an organization is to elevate the voices of women in a male-saturated field. While we love to partner with all genders for our podcast, we are currently in a series called Women Teach the Bible. The series is so important because if you ask who a person's favorite preachers, speakers, authors, or podcasters are, often you find that list dominated by men. And while we love y'all, I want to create a space for women to teach so that you can hear the Bible through a different lens. For more, you can follow us on Insta or Twitter at WomenInYM, or go to our website, womenandyouthministry.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome back. This week, we have our first repeat guest, the amazing Rita Pryor. Rita, why don't you say hi and introduce yourself again for those listening? Hey, guys, my name is Rita Pryor. I am a pastor at Church of the Harvest in Evansville, Indiana. Um, I spend most of my time these days uh, being an advocate and an author, um, finishing up my book um, and enjoying, enjoying what we can of 2020. So usually we start off by having you talk about your call story. Mm -hmm. Um, I encourage everyone to go check out your previous episode where we talked about the death of Ahmaud Arbery and how to process that and systemic racism as youth workers. In that episode, you talk about your call story. So I just encourage you guys to go listen to that. One of the things that stuck out to me when you were sharing your call story was usually when something irritates you, that means you're called to it. So my question to you today is, what has been irritating you lately? Oh my goodness. Okay, so here's what I did. So when all of this racism and stuff went crazy, um, I was like, I, I, I wanted to go find another country to live in. Like I was just like, I got to go. Um, but I realized that that wasn't a possibility um, right now. I'm still trying to escape, but I can't figure out the place. But anyways, different story. Um, but what I realized was, I didn't understand all aspects of racism and all aspects of, of different things. So it irritated me. I mean, it was a soul irritation that there were some questions I couldn't answer um, and some things I didn't understand. So I, I went deep into reading and research, looking at, light, looking at racism from the white perspective. Hmm. And because I know the black perspective, I, I live it every day, but I did not understand why white people struggled with understanding racism mm. and um, in just different aspects. So for the past four or five months, I've probably read five or six books um, on racism, um, systemic racism, but everything from the white perspective. And mm. so it has really helped me to be a much more compassionate person um, <laughs> and have a lot of empathy for my white people. And I feel, I feel that Jesus is really pleased with my life that I'm not the hater of, of things as I used to be. Um, but it, I did realize that I can't speak to something without all of the information. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as it's important that my story is told as a black person, it's equally important that I understand how we got to where we got and how I can reach the white people who reach out to me and understand their stories even before they come to me so that I can offer a better level of guidance. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I am slowly turning my irritation down levels as I learn more about this subject. That's so amazing. And it makes sense because 
one of the places you've kind of kind of found yourself uh, called into is is speaking to a lot of white people in this season. I know um, <laughs> you've done it for the Women in Youth Ministry Facebook right. group. You've been a person where people have been able to ask questions to and. Um, Rita, we don't deserve your compassion and we really appreciate, I mean, no, I mean that. I mean, you've been reading all these books, trying to understand our perspective, um, how we got to this place and we don't, we don't deserve that, but you did it. And that's really amazing. And it says a lot about who you are and what your heart is for people. Yeah. I just, I believe that, I believe in order to do ministry, um, we have to at least have a foundational understanding of all aspects of ministry. Um, you know, even looking through my bookshelf in my house, I have the Bahá'í Gita, I have the Book of Mormon, I have the Quran, you know, I have all of these different things because I really want to understand. And mm -hmm. I felt that I needed to go that deep in understanding racism um, because the, the, the short story is our United States was set up for all of us to be ignorant. It was never a place that they that anyone wanted anyone to know the truth, including white people. And so one of the things that I tell white people all the time when, you know, they're just because I get a lot of people are up, who are upset because they did not know. That's usually the frustration that I hear. And I have to tell them it wasn't designed for you to know. Like mm -hmm. you have to go seek it out like it. Our history books don't tell the truth. Um, you have to go look at alternative news just to get to root stuff. So I believe even for white, and I say this to all of our white sisters and brothers who are listening, give yourself some grace. And, you know, because you have to understand that this is a systematic setup for us not to know history, not even just mm -hmm. for BIPOCs, but true history itself. And that's why the movie Hamilton is so important, because it's breaking down important details that really aren't just as popular as what we're taught in history. Um, and so I, I've, I've found some peace in that um, in helping me to be um, to be more open um, and to be less angry. It's been mm. really helpful to um, to my life and my health. Mm. That's it. That's the podcast. Who would have known we would have <laughs> had a whole episode just in the intro question. <laughs> what's been irritating you lately, Rita? I'm going to start asking every guest that. I'm going to start asking what's I'm been irritating you. you. Listen, you, you ask it and you will get the answers. You will get the answers. Yeah. So good. All right. So we're in this series called Women Teach the Bible, and we just took yes. two weeks off. So let me just explain for those listening um, where we're at. You know, one of my goals as the leader of this organization, Women in Youth Ministry, is to elevate the voices of women in a male-saturated field. Now, um, Rita and I are both in fields where it's pretty normal, or, or in churches or communities, where it's pretty normal yes. for women to be leading, um, but that hasn't always been my history, and it's not the experience of a lot of uh, women in our community. And so uh, we feel that it's really important to get women voices out there, um, and in this series, allow people the opportunity to hear the Bible from a female perspective. Um, so we've had four episodes out already. All four of them are amazing. I encourage you guys to go listen to them. And like I said, Rita's our first repeat guest, and that's because Rita's a great storyteller. And today, she's going to tell us about Deborah. So my question is, how did the story of Deborah get laid upon your heart? Okay, so here's the deal. I didn't like Deborah. 
Um, and I, um, I was talking to my pastor and we were talking about children um, because, you know, being a student pastor, that's important. And, um, and so he said, he was like, you know, what characteristics do you have that lend yourself to this role? And I came up with all these different aspects um, that I felt lended myself. And he said, what about mother? And I was like, that I am not. I am no one's mother. Um, and, and because at the time I did not have um, kids and it was just being a mother is something um, that being a person who struggled with infertility, um, you don't want to have those stories about being a mother. And so mm. whenever I whenever I read the story about Deborah, all I saw was I, Deborah, a mother. Um, and mm. I would stop there because it triggered something in me that was negative. And so I never really went for it. But then in the last few months, for whatever reason, um, God has really been dealing with me about Deborah. And I was hesitant because of that role of mother. Um, but as I dug deeper in it, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, come on now, Deborah. Well, come on, sister. Because Deborah is so multifaceted. And what she brings to the table is absolutely amazing. Um, and I feel like at the time when I first, when I was first, he, when my pastor first talked to me about Deborah, I wasn't ready. Mm. I wasn't ready to embrace all that Deborah is. And so mm -hmm. now with this season of my life, um, it's like, okay, I got you. And it has been so encouraging for me um, mm -hmm. to read her and to really give me some boost of confidence that I need. You know, I totally get that because I did not get married until what I felt like was later in life. I was 28, but I went to Bible college. And so everyone got married right out of Bible college, started popping out kids. I was like, that ain't me. And, um, I really, in kind of the height of my singleness really struggled with a lot of women authors. Um, like there were people like Jen Hatmaker and Glennon Doyle and, um, Shauna Nyquist and all these people who my friends are reading. They're like, Oh, you have to read their book. I was like, I'm not interested in a mommy blogger. And they're like, they don't talk about motherhood that much. Then I read it and say, yeah, it's kind of the center of like their storytelling. And yes. it, uh, I like was, uh, very repelled by women groups, by, um, by women places, because I was so, uh, ashamed of my singleness. And then yes. when I found out that I have polycystic ovarian syndrome and a very good chance that I'm infertile, that also made me like very like weary of women places too. So I, I actually really connect to what you said because I've, I've, <laughs> I have this like mental block that like yes. blocks me from wanting to be associated to anything mothering. And I, I don't believe people really understand that because, you know, likewise, I was 28 when I got married. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't think people understand that when they bring these topics up of motherhood, people assume, number one, that everyone with a uterus is a woman. <laughs> That's a problem. Um, and they assume that every woman wants to bear children. Um, and people assume that it's easy. Yeah, and so you know we we're going through infant um infant loss um, um awareness month right now, um, yeah. and we're going through these things, and people don't understand that the dark what I call the dark side of fertility, and I call it the dark side because no one really wants to shine a light on it, mm -hmm. and so um, being a person that also has um, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, is is a struggle for us, um, and it's hard because I've gotten to a place in my life um, where well, not gotten to a place, but I started out early in life saying that I did not want to be a, a parent. I did not want to give birth. As I've explored that through counseling, um, I realized that 
something in me, even before I knew that I had infertility issues, something in me knew, and I was building up a block in mm. myself, it, like really hardened my heart around the subject so that when I found out the truth, it wouldn't destroy me. Mm. And so it was hard for me. I mean, imagine going on a mission trip to Haiti that I've done num numbers of times. And you go to these orphanages where all of these children are there. And I was angry at God. I'm like, how did you mm. think that it was okay that all of these women can pop kid after kid after kid with no resources to be able to take care of them? But yet I, who have all the resources, am not able to do this. And so I did not embrace the story of Deborah because of that one word, mother. And, and, but it has taught me how we allow our brokenness to even hinder us from healing because we stop at that place of brokenness and we don't want to deal with it. But we can't receive our healing until we deal with that and go further. And usually when we go further, our blessing is on the other side because there's so much to the story, but we never knew it because we were too broken to go find out. Dang. So that's podcast number two in this episode. <laughs> Jeez, it's so good. So All, right. <laughs> All right, so go ahead. Tell us the story of Deborah, Mama Deborah, from your <laughs> from your own point of view. Yeah. So here's the thing about Deborah, and I'm gonna try to get, keep myself together because sometimes I get real preachery and I get excited. So I'm gonna keep that mm, Pentecostal preacher inside. <laughs> but the thing with Deborah is, we hear about Deborah, the mother of da da da. da. And she was a prophet. She was a mother. She wore these things. But even when she identified herself as a mother, she was saying of these people. And it's really important for us as women in ministry and people who are listening to understand that when we are ministers, when we are pastors, when we have leadership roles, there is an innate thing in us of compassion that's not just for the people around us, but for our communities, for our region, for our country. And that these gifts, these mothering, compassionate, sympathy, all of these things, we should even take those things to the polls with us when we vote. Like those are aspects of our life that, we, that are really good. So when you think about Deborah, you think about, yes, she was a prophet. Yes, she was a mother. And when you read Judges 4 and 5, it, there's little things in there that don't really come out until you get some study. But one of the things that gets me is it mentions her husband once. It's like, you know, like maybe one or two times. But then he's gone. Like, yeah, this, she was the wife of this person. And then the story is gone. And the reason why I appreciate that is because so many women in the Bible, they may be mentioned once. And most of the time, they're not even given a name. So I'm very appreciative that this man was not given a platform. I'm like, yes, sorry, sit down. Because you are not important to this story. Uh, because most of the time, it's a woman that is like, and the woman who was there. And the woman did this. And so that's the other portion. But when you get into Deborah, the, the thing I love about her is Deborah's name means honey, honeybee. And I started really thinking about what, who are we, um, who are we as women um, and as pastors that it really correlates to this story of being a honeybee. And so something let's get to the, let's get to the deal of who she was. So Deborah got a word from the Lord, which was a confirmation. And so she goes to Barak and she was like, Hey dude, you know, you heard Jesus, you know, you heard God tell you to go in here and take this land, but you ain't went. So I'm bringing you confirmation that you need to go over here, do this. And this is what's going to happen. Well, he had been disobedient and he was like, well, hold on. I didn't go because I was scared, but apparently you got a good relationship with God because he told you this. So I'll go if you go with me. And I love that because it's an instance in the Bible where it shows a man submitting to a woman's leadership, a mm. man submitting to the gift of a woman. And we don't have a lot of stories about that at mm -hmm. all. But that one little piece on there where he basically go, I'll go if you go with me. Like that's the story that we want our men and our brothers to understand that take us with you 
because the anointing and the prayer that we have is what's getting you there. Um, right. And so that, that's, an, that's another important portion of it. And so when you get into where she talks about um, the other portion that's important is in the background, is when she gives this confirmation prophecy, she says that you, that the, um, that the hand will be, that the, that the um, a woman, they will fall to a woman. Now, for us, when you're reading the story, you think she's the woman. You're right. like, yeah, girl, you tell them like you're the woman, but she's not the woman. And yeah. I love that too, because as a, as, as a storyteller and you're going through this, you automatically think like, yeah, girl, you can ready to go in here and go, you, you go in because you're going to be an intricate part of this story. Because you're the Joel, woman. Right. And, but no, it's JL, in which JL was like a thug. Like JL was like, I'm just not going to kill you, but um, I'm going to use my skills as a tent maker to make sure that you don't ever do anything ever again in life. So then when you even get into her story quickly, just the fact that she was a tent maker and you look at what women bring to the table and we always talk about women from a feminine perspective, but she, she was feminine and she was a woman, but she made the tent, she put the tents up, she put the pegs in the ground and she mm. used that skill <laughs> to bring down, you know, to bring down this guy. So that those are things that you as you're just getting through the story you start to understand but here's the big thing thinking about deborah's name and it means honeybee we have to ask ourselves who what is a honeybee what does it bring to the table and so i started researching honeybee and so one of the things um you know we have all these different bees you have a bee you have a wasp and there's two different things and even bees have all these different species but i started thinking about the difference between a bee and a wasp um and a honeybee uh one of the things is they live in a hive where as wasps, they're just out doing their thing. They're out doing whatever. But what got me is when I researched this, it states that honeybees are one of the most important insects of the world. That it is responsible um, for most, and let me just read it to you. It says globally, there are more honeybees than any other types of bee and pollinating insects. So it is the world's most important pollinator of food crops. It is estimated that one third of our food that we consume each day relies on um, pollination mainly by bees. So you think about this and you think about how cool this is that this bee is so important, not just to that one thing that is pollinating, but to the world. So who are we as women? Who, what do we bring to the table as women? That our gifts are important to the world. That it is important, not even to, just not even thinking about it, but to feed the world. And we feed the world spiritual food. We feed, we feed the, um, the world guidance. And so you think about that by itself. It's like, okay, Deborah, I see where we're going with this. But then you think about um, another aspect of honeybees is that they create and maintain hides where wasps do not. So we as women, we not only create platforms and create um, and create ministries and create families, but we also are meant to create and maintain. Whereas mm-hmm. other species don't have that same gift to create and maintain. Huh. They may have a gift to create, but they don't have it to maintain. And so the honeybee has the ability to do both. And you can let your mind go all over with just that one aspect of the honeybee life. So you mm-hmm. so then still thinking about Deborah, she's producing honey. And we know the Bible always talks about honey as the sweetness of his word. And we talk about, and even in, I think, um, Proverbs, it talks about um, sweetness and honey as wisdom. And so one of the things that I've been working on myself with is how do I approach situations? How do I approach something when it could be negative or it could be something that I'm struggling with? Um, Because we have, we, sometimes people are so ignorant 
that we come out and we attack, especially in this season of, um, of politics. We come out and we attack and we come hard. But the truth of the matter is, when we do that, we are attacking. No one wants to be attacked. And so the way that we approach a situation, the way that we govern a situation, we can either bring people to us or we can push people away. And so mm -hmm. Deborah had the anointing that even though she was a judge, even though she was fierce, even though she was all these things, she still used that quality of sweetness to gather people and not push them away. And so that's something that we have to hold on to as women in, the, women in, God, women in the gospel and women in ministry and women, period that we have to be careful of how we attack subjects and how we approach subjects because we don't want to be another reason someone walks away. Hmm. We don't want to, be, especially when so many women are fighting for a platform, that we don't want to be, oh, it's just a woman being emotional. It's just, you know, these aspects of things. So it's, it's another level to be careful about. Um, and then you start thinking about some of the things that Deborah was. Deborah was courageous. She obviously was called by God because she heard from God and she actually was obedient to what she to what she um, had because Barack was over here, heard the same thing, was like, no, nah, I ain't going. They big, they want to fight. This is what's going on. I'm not going. But she was like, yeah. And I love it that he trusted in her gift so much that he obeyed God. And so I started thinking about that from our perspective. Can people trust our gifts so much that they obey God when we give them confirmation? That that's a part that God has called us to be, that he's called us to bring confirmation to people who've heard God's word. But do we, and now here's the thing about it. We can give confirmation whatever season we're in and whatever way we can. But does our character lend itself to be trusted? Hmm. Or can we give confirmation to someone, but our character has messed up our witness? Hmm. And so that's where I've been dealing because I'm usually a very aggressive person. And Same. I feel like I'm learning this place where I have to bring it back because it's scaring more people away than bringing people in. And so I have changed even in the last, I will say the last two months, my Facebook page is completely different than it was. And I'm in this season of being quiet and doing a lot more listening than I am talking because mm. I want to see exactly what God is saying. So even when someone puts something stupid on social media, whether it's about politics or women or race or whatever, I've backed up from it. And then when I do go into the conversation, I go asking questions. So when someone says, something, I'll go, oh, tell me more about this. Well, what does that mean? And I'm getting a lot better response and more conversation than I am going, well, you know, that's stupid. That's not the truth. If you look at this, this, this. And so Deborah had that anointing that not only was she courageous and called by God, but she used wisdom and knowledge as her approach. Instead of going to a place of just hurting and saying, thus said the Lord, go and do this because you're ignorant. She said, this is what God has said to me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm learning parts of this. The other thing is Deborah supported the people that God called to lead. Yeah. He called Barack to leave. Could she have gone in and did that same thing? Because she was the one who had the story. She knew what was going to happen. She could have went in and did it because God, God had already promised it. But she trusted Barack to leave. To leave. Mm. And so it's really important that, and I, and I want to say this because we're, that we are in an election season, we have to be mindful that no matter who sits in that office, that has nothing to do with our calling. It has nothing to do with who we're called to be. We're still going to minister the same gospel. We're still going to fight for the same rights. We're still going to do all of these things. And now sometimes the person in the office makes us do it even more. <laughs> there are things that I fight for now that I was kind of okay with about eight years ago. I was like, okay, we're going to be okay. But now I'm like, no, nah, I need to get more involved in this system. But we put too much hope in our office. 
We yeah. put too much faith in our office. And so do we have to trust God to lead his people. And then we have to trust God to deal with his people when they are not doing what God said. And so it's put another place in me that I've even had some love of compassion for people that I normally would not have compassion for because I have to trust God with them. I can't change them. We can't change them, but God can. So I'm constantly asking God, break this person's heart in the place that your heart breaks. And so then lastly, as we get into it, Deborah was trusted, but she was also direct. Deborah mm -hmm. did not go in beating around the bush. She did not go in trying to make it soft and make it pretty or whatever. She was very direct. And I think sometimes because we have a history of not being believed, we have a history of, um, of having to prove ourselves, we have a history of being the subordinate and the assistant and not the, the lead role, we want to make, we want to give reason to what we're saying. We want to lay a foundation. But when God tells us to do something, we don't have to go in and lay foundation. His word is the foundation. His word is what's already been said. We don't have to give a reason of why or how we got it. We just say it, thus saith the Lord, and we move on. And I think sometimes people take our trying to explain as being not confident and being insecure when mm. it's really more so we don't trust the person to receive what we're saying, but it can come off in a negative way. So Deborah was very direct because she was confident. And it's not mm. confident in who we are. It's not about being confident in us. It's being confident that we heard God. It's confident that, that we understood. And so one of the things that God has truly gifted me with is I have, um, and they, they, a lot of people laugh at me when this happens, whenever I have to preach somewhere, I don't do tons of study beforehand. Um, because if I do tons of study, my sermon is going to change 1,500 times. Because every time I read something new, I change the story. So usually if I have to preach somewhere, I ask people, give me 24-hour notice. 24-hour notice, I can go in and I can do this. And it's only because I trust God with me. Hmm. I know that I cannot speak if God does not speak for me. And so when I stand and once I put that microphone in my hand and once I, I get on that platform, I am saying, God, speak through me or shut me up. And I believe God. that is my prayer every single time. And a lot of times I pray it out loud. God, speak through me or shut me up. And so Deborah was a person that was confident in God that she spoke with the said the Lord and she was humble about it. She mm. didn't say, you know, you're supposed to have already done this. You know, you know, you know. She said, this is what you need to do. And so when we think about that from a place of a honeybee, she, was, she has sweetness to her. She builds a hide and maintains it. She is the queen bee that controls everything. Um, she makes sure that, that all the flowers are pollinated and everybody's doing what she needs to have done. But the other thing about it, the difference between a bee and a wasp is that a wasp, once they attack, they keep attacking. They can keep attacking one after the other. A bee will only sting you once. <laughs> and I love that because it's a place of wisdom. We don't have to keep hurting people. We don't have to keep putting truth and doing all this. We attack once. We bring the word once and let God do the work. Where mm. the person who's not confident will keep going back and back mm. and back to get it done. And so even as youth pastors and student pastors and all these things, we even have to trust the people under us that we don't have to go and micromanage them. We don't have to go mm. and tell them the same thing. We give the instruction and trust God with it. So we sing once and then go back and build and maintain our hive. And so mm. it's really important for us as we deal with this. And the, and the last thing that I would say about the bee, which is, I, I thought this was absolutely interesting. It states that if a queen bee dies, the workers will create a new queen 
by selecting a young larva and feeding it a special food called royal jelly that enables that larva to develop the fertility needed to keep the population going. What? Listen, girl, when I tell you the way that I done almost ran and shouted off of that one thing, that if we think about our role, that we just don't die off. We just don't leave work undone. We are finishers. We start, we, once, when we start a thing, we finish a thing. But if whatever happens, the people around us know enough to understand that we can't keep going without a leader. So we're going to create one based on what we already have in our hide. They don't mm -hmm. go outside to hide. They don't go to other places. They create something within themselves to create a new queen. So hmm. they don't become a different beast. They don't say, well, the queen dies, so now we something different, then we don't have a queen bee. They say, no, 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 no. The queen creates and maintains the hive, which means that everything they need to create the next queen is already there. That by itself is absolutely amazing. Like, hmm. It has blessed my entire soul. And so with Deborah, the thing that I love about it is even after this battle went on and they won, Deborah still went back to her job as a judge. She didn't try to go take over kingdom. She didn't go and try to be over anything. She didn't, she went back to the role that God called her to be. And, and that's so important because we have to remember that as we fight battles and as we go through these different things, it's all good that we go off and fight, but we have to go back to what God called us to be as the battle is over. And that has been important to me as a person going through this Black Lives Matter stuff and going back to all that for about three months of my life. That was everything that I did. Yeah. But then I had to go back to become the pastor. I had to go back to what God called me to be. Not hmm. saying that he didn't call me to those roles, but that's, my, that's the most important role that I have because everything that I am as an activist, I bring to my life as a pastor. Hmm. So let and me ask you. That's where it goes. Yes, go ahead. Sorry. I've been thinking about this this whole time, and, and I, I was trying to pause to just listen to the whole thing, and um, I'm, I have to confess, I've been on Honeybee TikTok a lot lately. Like, you know how, like, TikTok has different algorithms? Somehow, I have found myself on beekeeper TikTok. So, I have been okay. <laughs> learning a lot about bees lately. <laughs> it's so funny. It's fascinating. Yes. I like. I want to stay on beekeeper. I comment on every video, so I'll stay on beekeeper TikTok. Yes, it's, <laughs> I mean it's it's actually amazing when you get into it and really learn about it. Mm -hmm. I just didn't have any idea. I mean, I yeah. truly did not. And as I've been studying it, I'm like, now I want to go to the honey farm. I want to go to the bee honey farm. Like, I want to see this. I want to put in a little white suit with the smoke and go in there and figure everything out. Um, because it <laughs> is so important. But anyway, go to your story. Go. Yeah. So here's my question now. And I'll give you a specific example. I was on a call with um, another woman who's in student ministry this weekend, and she was feeling really discouraged because um, she was painted as someone who was very aggressive. And she was saying to me, she's like, Heather, like I have been in ministry for like 30 years. I'm really tired of being the nice woman. Like if you can't receive it by now, like I'm not going to shut up about it. Like, I'm, I'm not right. going to give up. I'm not going to lay down. I'm not going to be sweet. I'm tired of hearing, because I, when, originally when I was talking to her, I was like, well, you know, we catch more flies with honey than we do vinegar. Right. And she called me out and she was like, yes. no, I'm tired of honey. 
I am tired of being sweet. I'm tired of appeasing people. And I think that there's a lot of women out there who can really connect to it. And honestly, a lot of black women, especially, um, or black people out there, people of color in general, who are like, I am tired of being Mm -hmm. the nice black person. Like, I I don't want to be in a space where I have to be sweet anymore. Right. So my question to you is, how do we balance this? Like, how do we, how do we balance this need to be a nice woman or a nice person of color as, as to not piss people off with oh. our need to also do justice work in the world? Yes. I think it's because of our definition of nice. Mm. Um, that we, I, I think in our society, we look at nice as flowery, flowery. Um, we look at it as um, as submissive. We look at mm. it as um, approaching in a kid-like manner. Um, okay. It's like, you know, you're approaching in such a way that looks insecure. Um, and it looks like somebody needs some self-esteem because they're struggling over here. And so for me, I don't think I would ever in life meet any qualifications of the typical world of niceness or the yeah. typical world of being sweet and, and being with honey. But when you look at the aspects of honey, that honey is sweet, but it's, it's sweet. If we, okay, comparing sweet and bitter, honey lessens bitter. And it, it changes the, the taste and the palate um, from a place of being sour and rejecting it to being able to make it palatable. Cool. So I, don't, I think one of the issues that we struggle with is what we define as sweet. I don't look at sweets as this, you know, this, this pretty place and making things better. I look at it as, you know, where we really started with this as being someone that's trusted, being direct, being confident, but then have a place of humbleness. But humbleness does not mean humility. It means that you go into a place to, um, and, and I hear this word of, of making a place secure. And, and, I, and I say that because one of the things that we struggle with is as women, uh, we think that making something secure is a male-dominated type thing, but it's mm-hmm. really a place of giving people security in who they are, securing them, giving them confidence. And so I, I will never in life ever be told that I'm nice. I will never be told uh, that I am sweet in any sort of way. But I also understand um, that there are places in me that I don't have to attack. And that, that's, that's to me what's the lesson in this. Because I feel like in so many instances, because of the subjects like racism, because of those places, they generally make us angry and they should. Yeah. And there, but there is also a time to fight. There is a time, you know, the Bible says there's, there's a time for everything under the sun. I, and, and here, for me, I'm just going to be honest, I look forward to the time to fight. I do my <laughs> best work in the time to fight. Because you're an eight uh, as well. <laughs> I'm learning about that whole thing that I that that stuff I'm gonna get myself together and learn more about that um so that, that's and I don't want any woman to hear this or hear anyone else and when they talk about you know being sweet as honey and be I don't want them to see this docile um submitted all of this type of stuff I want them to see the honey bee the queen bee who produces honey knows how to create and maintain her hide do it with confidence that she don't even have to raise her voice do it with confidence that she don't have to explain herself. That, that's where I think the, um, where society has wanted to make us feel that um, the sweet looks like a certain thing, and it really does not. Um, but we're told that to keep us in a place. Hmm. We're told because the people who are telling us to be sweet and to be these things are men. Yeah. 
that that's where this definition is coming from we have to redefine what that is for us and all of us you know you and you know all the other i mean and i've listened to every podcast every podcast there was honey in every single podcast but it was done in strength it was done in confidence it was done knowing the word and knowing the direction and that's who we have to be and it's what we bring to the table and that's what makes us different from everyone else because we are creating something we're maintaining something and what we're doing is populating the world and mm-hmm. that's what's so important about it well and i like the word that you use to describe honey versus using the word sweet to use palatable mm-hmm. um and and that it balances out the bitterness. Because I do think that when we're doing justice work in particular, whatever justice work matters to you, you can't right. change you can't change minds by too, being too sweet. You can't right. change minds by being too bitter. You right. can change minds when it's palatable enough. And that doesn't mean that you're watering things down. It doesn't mean that you're softening things. It means you're bringing it to them in a way that they can digest yes. and, and, and push them a little bit further. And that's hard. It's hard to bring things to someone in a palatable way. It takes enormous strength, takes enormous character. Um, and that's Deborah. So it, it is, it, it, it so is. And just, just what you were saying right there. Um, I think that's the struggle that we all have because to make something palatable means we have to work. Mm. Every, it's not created palatable. We have to make it palatable. And that's the work that we do all the time. And so, you know, as I've been on different podcasts and been talking and have different platforms and talking to people, I can't tell you how many people have come to me and told me, you know, things like, you know, um, you're wrong that you think that racism is an issue. Um, you know, I, you know, and, and so my general reaction when I hear that is number one, I laugh um, because I think it's very funny that a white person would tell a black person that they're wrong about racism. Um, but I realize that if I come at them um, in certain ways, it's gonna, it almost proves their point mm. to the, the biasness that they have. Yeah. And so then I have to work on how do I say this in a way that they can receive it. And so mm-hmm. I have developed, I mean, I, and literally in my notes on my phone, I have talking points <laughs> that I have created and <laughs> um, just asking questions. Because a lot of mm-hmm. times in order to make something palatable, it's not even that you have the answers or know what to say, just ask questions. Yeah. So why do you believe that? Well, tell me more about that. Well, tell me the history of that, because that's very interesting. Hmm. Well, that's the, oh, wow, I never thought about that before. So how, so how does that relate to your life now? Like, those sure. are how I go through situations. I'm not, making, I'm not making my words palatable. They're creating a new palette for themselves sure. by answering the questions. And so it's, it's a very interesting place. Um, to be at, but it's needed in this season um, when we want to draw people to us and not push away. Sure. There was a few weeks ago, it's not really a secret for those lis- uh, in case it's, a, it's not a secret, but in cases who are listening don't know, I'm affirming of the LGBTQ community, full inclusion of the yeah. church, like that's something I'm about. Mm-hmm. And a few weeks ago, there was a youth ministry thread where um, someone asked a question about queer youth. I think it was in particular about transgender youth and asked it in such a way that was like, oh, like didn't love it. 
And I posted the policy that I had created this year for our youth ministry. And I got some comments on it that were really, really negative. I'm an aide on the Enneagram. So I want to like, A, I'm, I think I'm a lot like Deborah. I like want to protect my people with that mothering quality that I've come to terms with. Yes. But I also, part of my protecting is like, yeah, sting like a bee. Like, like get away from me, <laughs> yes. quick jab, run away. Um, and sometimes I get a little waspy. Um, <laughs> and I decided I was not going to be angry in this thread. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I, I think all of my comments are like, no worries. It's all love here. Like, and put like the purple heart and like put the pride flag. And, um, this, there's a person in particular who's like, like, uh, accusing me of not reading the Bible. It's like, I, I was like, the more I read the Bible, the more inclusive I become gay flag. Like, <laughs> I just kept being so positive and affirming and they got really angry that I was so affirming, but I was like, look, like, I'm not even going to debate this. And I think for me, I fought for my worth for so long. I grew up in a denomination yeah. that didn't believe that women could be leaders. And even in a progressive denomination, you can find yourself in situations where you have to prove yourself. I'm, I'm kind of done proving myself. Um, yeah. And maybe that's just because I'm not in the mental space to defend myself right now. So for me, being a honeybee is not engaging. Only, like yeah. only putting myself in places that um, like allow me and support me and love me and protect me and not intentionally putting myself in places where I get a little waspy because I've got a wasp yeah. nature about me. And I think for those who are listening, who are like, I'm involved in XYZ justice work right. and I'm struggling uh, in this political climate in particular, because yes. I don't understand why people don't get this. And you yes. just want to be keyboard warrior, waspy, whatever. Maybe a few things yes. that I've learned from chatting with Rita and from my own personal experience as a very strong woman is how can you make things a little bit palatable? How can you give things to a person in such a way that they will digest, such as mm -hmm. me saying, it's all love here. <laughs> Yes. My position's based off of love and inclusion. Right. LOL yeah. heart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's exactly what you're saying, though. I mean, I'm 44 years old. I'm tired of proving that I am who I am. I'm tired of proving that Black people are worth the same equality as everyone else. Like, right. I don't have it in me at this moment to fight about my existence on this earth. Right. And we have to understand that our fight for social justice comes in very comes in a variety of different forms and formats. And my resistance right now is silence. Mm. My resistance is I refuse to answer the questions. I refuse to acknowledge what you're sending me. That's my form of resistance. And so when you think about who Deborah was, Deborah had various forms of resistance. The mothering in her is even what led her to go with Barack because she has this compassion. She wants to be there. So mothering is not just a place of this really tender place, but it's a place of protection is what we do. But we also have to understand that we are our biggest protectors. We have to protect our peace, our sanity. And there are times that we have to just push away. And I, like you, I do a lot of work in the LGBTQIA world. And I have so many people who struggle with that. And I get to the place now when they send me messages, I put back a smiley face. <laughs> and that is all they get back. 
And they'll keep going. So you're just not going to respond. Smiley face. Oh, so this is all you're going to send? Smiley face. Oh, so this is what we're going to do? Smiley face. And I send a smiley face until they stop messaging me. It's my form of resistance. Right. We have to understand that it's okay. It's okay to not respond when we don't want to. That, there, um, one of the other things I learned from um, a, a wonderful mentor of mine is she preached a sermon saying about the, the, the sermon title was The Anointed No. She said, no is a complete sentence. It does not need an explanation. It does not need a verb, mm-hmm. a subject, and a degree. It is a complete thing. And I have embraced that in this season. I am not going to tire myself out with ignorance. I love that. The other thing and that so I have been good. doing. Yeah. The other thing I've been doing is, especially with online things that happen, because that's the climate we're in, where there's all this keyboard worrying, warrioring going on is um, I've been inviting people to have a conversation with me. And I even have like a scheduling link that I give them. I'm like, you can, if you want to talk about this, here's the link. And I've given it to so many people on many topics, on Mm -hmm. sexuality, on sexism, racism. I've been handing it out because I'm like, if you actually want to learn on this as you claim, no one's taking me up on it. And I know you're not surprised, but... (laughs) me if someone wants to learn then I will give them space to learn but if you are going to be a wasp and you're going to attack and we can't have a conversation this isn't going anywhere um that's so so, powerful Heather that's so powerful I mean I just it's a learning you're so powerful So as we wrap up, um, you know, we have a question we like to to end with, and it's we're the Women in Youth Ministry podcast, and we've definitely been talking about issues related to women uh, this entire podcast, although I do think Mm -hmm. a lot of this can translate to men too, as they do justice work in particular. Um, But one, um, I'm curious, what would you have as a word of encouragement or some advice to any of the women who are listening today? Change the definition. Change the definition of, of what is irritating you. What is that definition to you? I want us to get to a place where we start to challenge the labels that people give us, that mm-hmm. we don't accept them as they were. Look at where that label came from, look at the roots of that label, and then, and then decide if it fits you, if it doesn't fit you. And be okay if it does fit you. Mm-hmm. Be okay if someone gives you a label and it fits you, because here's the thing. God is a transformation God. He's a God of transformation. And I have been in a place in this season where I've asked God, show me the, the ugliness of me mm-hmm. so that I can deal with it. And so I really reach out to, to my women in ministry, to my sisters, and say, deal with the ugliness and, and highlight, highlight what's going on in your life, but don't let a label define who you are always look at where did that definition come from who created it even like we talked about the word nice and honey and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. really look at where did that come from look look it up look at Westford. look at Web, um, webster see what the definition is do some research um, i think we owe it to ourselves to challenge the narrative that we've been given mm. there's podcast number 10 from this episode <laughs> it's so funny Rita, thank you so much for being on this episode. We're going to link to Rita's social media where you can follow her in the description box. I appreciate you so much. You have been such a blessing to my life. Like the last, I feel like eight months maybe. Like we've, I just feel like I've gotten to know you yeah. just really well the last eight months. And um, you are like one of the gifts 2020 has given me. 
So oh, thank, thank you, you so much for being on and until next week, everybody. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to rate us five stars and follow us on Insta or Twitter at Women in YM. If you're a woman listening, we'd love to have you in our Facebook community. Visit womeninyouthministry.com to learn more.